are listening to Cold Lake Community Church Podcast. I hope today's message inspires you. Community Church, a place where families come together. We're going to continue our series on prayer and um, would like to just open up with this morning with a word of prayer. Father, we just thank you so much for this opportunity to come before your throne as a congregation, Lord. And Father, I just pray, Lord, that you would be the center. God, would you lead us? Would you guide us? Would you take us where you want us to take us, God? We don't want to miss your will by even the smallest of margins. Lord, we trust you. We know that you're the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and end, and you are an awesome God. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. So why is prayer so important for us? You know, we read in Job chapter 1 about an amazing man of God, and it was so that, you know, Job got up every single morning early just in case his son sinned. Isn't that pretty amazing? See, as I read that, I thought, Wow, he did that every single day for his sons. What about his daughters? You know, I got two daughters, and I had two sisters growing up, and I know that daughters and sisters need prayer, okay? So if you're reading that, and you're like, oh, yeah, Job got every, up every morning because of sons. That makes sense. They're rascals. Don't be fooled, okay? Daughters need prayer, too, and we can get up every morning and pray for our daughters. When I was a, when I was a kid, my... Um, I remember my mom taking us off to church one Sunday, and we went to a uh, Presbyterian church, and it was downtown Bolton, and uh, we went out there, and mom, my dad was working night shifts, so he was sleeping, and uh, the kids were all getting ready, and my little sister was at about three at the time, and she couldn't find her shoes, and they were like, okay, come on, guys, let's go. We're going to be late for church, and Nadine couldn't find her shoes. She's like, I can't find my shoes, and she's like, well, you're going to have to stay here with dad. We got to go. And mom left Nadine there, and she was crying, and, oh, I want to go to church. And she's crying. It's like, well, sorry, we're going to be late, and off we went and left her. So about 40 minutes into the service, Nadine walks up the back and, and uh, sits down with us as a family, and, and my mom looked over at Nadine, who was, again, about age three, and said, oh, did Daddy drop you off? She says, nope, I found my shoes, and I walked out to the road, and I did this. And some man picked me up and dropped me to church and took me across the street, and, uh, and here I am. So daughters need prayer. Amen? You never know what's happening. And to this day, we have no idea who dropped that little girl off, and we just totally believe just outside of Toronto that that was an angel looking after my little sister. It's important for us to press into the presence of God, to seek his face to let, uh, as we continue our journey. Let's start off this morning with the prayer of confession. Confession is, as we come into the presence of a holy God, it's important that our conscience be cleared and our hearts be purified. Luke 9, 23 says, Then he said to the crowd, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross daily, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but for yourself are lost or destroyed? If anyone is ashamed of me and my message, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in his glory and in the glory of the Father and the holy angels. You know, as leaders in the kingdom, we mess up from time to time. We need to be quick to repent and slow to anger. So often we try to fix ourselves, don't we? 
You ever done that? You know what, you, you, you fall short of the glory of God, you did something that maybe you've done a hundred times before, and it's just kind of like all of a sudden, the enemy just dumps guilt on you. And when he dumps guilt on you, we want to run and we want to hide. Doesn't that sound familiar? See, that happened back to our great, 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 great 17 great-grandfather, Adam and Eve. Okay, when sin entered into this world, and they partake, partook of the fruit that they weren't allowed to partake of, immediately they realized they were naked because the blinders came off their eyes and they ran and hid when the Lord was coming. And the Lord walked out and says, Adam, where are you? Is it because he didn't know where he was? No, God is omnipresent. He knows everything. But what our nature and what our desire is, is to run and hide, and that's what the enemy wants to entrap us with. See, when we fall short of the glory of God, and when we sin, the enemy is going to pile guilt upon that. But we need to remember that there's no guilt nor condemnation through Christ Jesus. So once we realize that it's not through God, then we can go to God and say, Lord, I need you to wash me clean because we cannot make ourselves clean. And some people go on a journey for years Trying to get closer to God is kind of like, you know what? I made a mistake. I fell away. God doesn't love me anymore. God doesn't want me anymore. And I'm here to declare this morning that that is not truth. God wants us to come close to him. God wants us to, to make us white as snow to be able to bring us access into the throne room of God. He is our father. Now, sometimes there's consequences, you know what, I was, I was talking to my kids the other day and they were, they were talking about, we, we give as parents on Christmases and birthday, we give our kids what we call a get out of jail free card. And our get out of jail free card is a little card that dad signs and they can sell it, they can trade it, they can do whatever they want or they can keep it for themselves. But what we want them to understand is that when they do something wrong and they know that a punishment is coming, when they hand in that get out of jail free card, it's over because we want our kids to understand grace. And grace is really important. And all of a sudden, they know that there's a punishment coming for the sin that they did. They know that there's gonna be a consequence. And then, boom, this get out of jail free card happens. And as I told them, I said, you know, as you get older, there's consequences in life. When you become an adult, if I decide to go and rob a bank right now, I might be really sorry. I may tithe the whole, the whole thing that I steal, but there's still a consequence and I could go to jail for it. So when we go before the Lord and we just say, God, we just ask that you wash me clean, there may be consequences to our, to our actions, but there's still forgiveness and there's still grace. Confession is a gift from God that purifies us and sets us apart from all other creations. Confession is simply, and I love this, take, write this down. Confession simply is agreeing with something that the Lord already knows and ask him to cover it with his ultimate grace and mercy. This truly stems from the beginning. I've already said, said that. Sin is a virus. If we don't deal with it, it grows and sprouts and produces fruit. How do we know that? Because Galatians 5:19 tells us. The act of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, fractions, enviness, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. My friends, let's not be fooled this morning. If the fruit of our life is the fruit of evil, 
The Bible is so clear on there, though, it says you will not inherit the kingdom of God. When we understand that the fruit of our life, we're, we're, we're partic- participating in the sin, we can say, you know what, God is good. There's, there's a God up there, and me and the big guy, we're close. And then all of a sudden, we go out, we live like we want to live. There, there's a line there. But every single one of us have the opportunity to be able to come before God and say, God, I don't want to be far away from you, Lord. Lord, would you wash me clean? And God, would you purify my heart because I want to be a son and daughter. I want to produce in my life good fruit. And that's found in verse 22. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus has crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceit, provoking, and envying each other. That's, that's basic Christianity 101. You know, I could tell you anything in the world. I could tell you that I'm a movie star, and you're like, okay, well, what movies have you been in? And I'm like, well, none, because I've got no fruit. I haven't got anything to show for it. But as a Christian, when we walk in that place and we say, you know what, I am a child of God. And Lord, I know there's some shortcomings in my life. And I know there's some things that you're trimming and you're working on. But God, may I produce good fruit. May I be, Lord, the one that you're calling me to be. The next type of prayer Oops, did I skip one, or let me just see here. Where? There we go. You rascal. There we go. Is the prayer of repentance. While confession deals with sin, confession deals with the heart that caused the sin. So what's the difference between sorrow and repentance? Sorrow is something that is nice to say. The dictionary says feeling regret Sympathy, pity, etc. To be sorry is to leave one's friend. To be sorry for a remark. To be sorry for someone in trouble. Where repentance, on the other hand, implies a complete about face and we move in the opposite direction. See, my new thing in town, I don't know if you've uh, have had the opportunity to go over to Original Joe's and try their new tomato bacon soup. But it's awesome. It comes into uh, this little bowl and you get this, these little cheese breads on the side and amazing, all right? So I went over there a couple weeks ago and I ordered this tomato bacon soup for lunch. And when it came, the little delicious cheese bread, oh, I call it manna is what I call it. On the side of the plate came and it was burnt and it was hard and it was awful. So usually it's just sort of a melt in your mouth type of like, ha oh, ha. This is comfort food, all right? But this one was like, <laughs> you know, it's just like chewing on a rock. And, and the server came by and she says, how, how is everything? I said, you know what, I, I think I might need dentures after this. Like, this bread is so hard that it, it really should be categorized as a lethal weapon because if I throw it, someone's going to die, you know? I think that's what David used in his slingshot to bring down Goliath personally. And she's like, oh my goodness, I can't believe that. I'll get you another, another, uh, another batch. She says, I'm sorry about that. And when she said, I'm sorry about that, I thought, I wonder if she really is sorry. You know, do you think she's going to go home and, and, and lose sleep over that? 
He's just going to go home and say, oh, man, I just can't believe I served that customer today. David's rocks. Like, I am such a bad server. I, I, you know, I, I don't think so. You know, I, I wonder if she's going to do an about face where it's just kind of like, you know what? I'm going to make sure quality control there is that every single person who goes and orders the gift from the Lord of manna is going to taste like that. Probably not. And there's a difference there. Husbands and wives, I know you probably don't fight in your marriage at all, and that's awesome because you're Christians, and that's great. Everybody's been asking me what, what happened to my head. I said, well, now I'm 42, and I'm getting slower, and Cindy can still throw fast, but I can't duck as quick, okay? And, and when we walk in that place, and you get into an argument with your spouse, or you start a little bit of a, let's just call it godly discussion. If you say, you know what, sorry, it's easy to do. I think any one of us can fake it. You know, sorry about that. But the next time that happens, look in each other's eyes and say, will you forgive me? And try to do that without being serious about it. I don't think it's possible. I think it's a completely different stance and a completely different level of repentance. And when we walk in that place and we just say, Lord, help me to have a repentant heart, God. Lord, help me not to do the same thing over and over and over again. But God, I want to be set free. I choose to be set free, Lord. Multitudes could be recovered from the snare of the enemy if they had the grace to repent. Agreements that have been made with the enemy can be annulled in one moment of sincere repentance. 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some of you understand slowness. Instead, he's patiently waiting for you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come into repentance. Repentance is so important. And I love that about God. God is our Father. And God walks in that place when we say, Lord, I can't believe I did that, God. Lord, would you help me to turn from that? Because, Lord, I don't want to drink of that cup. I don't want to go down this road. The Bible says in Isaiah that he makes us as white as snow. We can walk in purity. We can walk in wholeness. I don't know about you or what skeletons you have in your closet. But the skeletons that I have in my closet are null and void. And when, this, when Satan comes and tries to remind me about the things that I've done in my past, I can stand in that place and say, you know what, that was awful. But God, I thank you for your grace. Lord, your grace is sufficient for me. When much is given, when much is required, and we walk in that place, and then we, you know, I, the Bible is so amazing and how it's just so tied together. And the Lord tells us that, you know what, I have forgiven you of much, and yet you can't forgive of a little. My friends, when we understand that, when we understand the importance of forgiveness, then you know what, there's not one of us in this room that should be walking in bitterness towards anybody. You may be like, well, you have no idea what they did to me. You know what? You're right. I may not. But I don't know who you are in the closet either. But God does. And he's forgiven you from all that stuff. So can you forgive of that one thing? Can you forgive that brother, that sister, that mother, that father, that pastor? Oh, Lord. 
Shababai. For all have sinned. All have fallen short of the glory of God. And we need grace. And the Lord says so specifically, if you cannot forgive a little, I cannot forgive you of much. You know, I think sometimes we take the Bible and what we like and we make our own doctrine out of it and say, you know what, God, I have a right to be mad. And I have a right to be able to do this. So God, don't tell me that I can't be upset. And the Lord's like, I'm telling you. My word says, my word is truth. And I want you to be able to live and walk in freedom. That's his heart. The next one is the prayer of petition. Petition is a legal term that implies an approach to authority to obtain certain provisions. Our relationship with God is guaranteed by Christ and rooted in covenant. When we pray this prayer, we're not making a demand on a fickle person, rather an approach to a covenant-keeping, covenant-making God. This has been sealed with the life of Jesus Christ, his son. Romans 8.32 says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Do you know what covenant is? The best way for me to explain covenant, because I understand it the most, is a covenant in marriage. This last weekend, I did two weddings, and two, uh, two, two weddings, one on Friday, on Valentine's Day, and one on Saturday. And I love doing weddings. It's probably my second favorite thing as a pastor. My favorite thing is baptisms. I love baptisms. But in a wedding, it's just, you have so much fun in a wedding. And I always walk with the young couple, and I always talk about covenant versus contract. And what that is, is basically... When we stand before the Lord on that special day, and if you remember back to your special day, you said vows before God that say something like this. I promise to love you for better or for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, forsaking all others till death do us part. Something along those lines. What we're doing is we're standing before our friends and we're standing before the Lord and we're saying, God, I promise today that I will love my spouse through good times, which is easy, and through bad times, which is tough. I promise to love my spouse when we're wealthy and the food is coming and everything is really well, but I also promise to love her when the money dries up and we are not sure where the next bill is going to get paid. I promise, Lord, to love my spouse when we're healthy and everything is going well. But I also promise, Lord, to love my spouse when, when things are not going well and sickness enters into our, our lives. Have you ever walked in your life where you've experienced pain for an ongoing time? It is awful. We have walked through that where you become very irritable. When you've had a disease or you have a pain or you have an ailment that just doesn't go away and it's a constant pain and it's constantly there, you become very, very fragile. And when that happens, you know what? You get really prickly. And your spouse may come alongside and say, oh, honey, it's like, don't touch me. It's kind of like, what is your problem, lady? I'm trying to be the man. I'm trying to lift you up. And you get upset with me for rubbing your back. And after that goes on and on and on and on, it's finally like, you know what? I can't win. I can't. And when we feel like we can't win, when we're fighting a losing battle, that is when trouble comes into our marriage. And I want you to know right now that honestly, it takes two. 
because it takes the person who's not feeling like loving to remember that love is a decision and choose to love. And it takes the other person the grace to have patience with the other spouse. And when we walk together in that, that is where we have a powerful time. Covenant is very important. I remember, again, when I was a little kid, I lived in Bolton, and there was a time in my life where my mom would send us up to the store, and I would go up to IGA or IDA, and I could buy whatever I want, and I could go up to any one of the tellers and just say, you know what, put this on my mom's tab, and I would just take the stuff and leave, and my mom would clear it up on Friday or whatever. Those days are gone. You know what, if I send Mackenzie right now up to Sobeys and say, you know what, here's the shopping list, go get a few things, just tell them to put it on Lance's tab, they would be like, you know what, leave the groceries, have a good day. Because those days are gone, your word doesn't mean anything anymore. But as believers, our word has to mean something. It has to have weight. It has to have that understanding, and covenant is so important. Now, I said all that for us to understand that when we stand before God Almighty, God Almighty is a covenant-making, covenant-keeping God. God's word is his, is his bond. You can take it to the bank. He, you can walk in that place where you understand that if God is for me, then who can be against me? And we can stand in that place and say, Lord, I ask in the name of Jesus, and that gives us authority to be able to make declarations knowing that there's power in the name of Christ. Have you walked in that place where you've struggled in a marriage? Maybe you struggle with depression in marriage. It's not fun. And I've asked my wife, Cindy, to come up and share a little bit this morning. For Valentine's, I gave Lance a get-out-of-jail-free card. <laughs> Keep the whole family theme going. Um, Lance asked me to share a little bit about covenant and contract, and um, I guess a bit of our story is we had been youth pastoring in, in Edmonton for seven years, and it was just before we moved to Calgary we found out we were expecting uh, Mackenzie, and we had been praying and waiting and laboring for 10 years, hoping and uh, finally, our dream came true. We get to live in Calgary. Uh, we've got this promise on the way. And shouldn't I be the happiest girl in the world? And didn't the darkest cloud come over me? And I'd struggled a bit with depression before and stuff. But this, this one was a little different. And I couldn't seem to just shake it. And we had an agreement in our marriage from, from before we got married. We just made a promise to each other. We're never going to use the word divorce. We're not going to joke about it. We're not going to say it sarcastically. We're never going to, you know, we're just not going to go there. And, and it's amazing because I'm not saying I never ever thought it, but I never ever spoke it out my mouth. I never ever said that word. He's never said it. And um, <clears throat> so here we are in Calgary and our life should, is perfect. I should be so happy, but I'm just dealing with this darkness and it gets worse and worse. And um, Lance says to me, you know, why don't you go and see a counselor? And I was kind of struggling, kind of like, you know, I tend to be a little more on the spiritual side, thinking, well, I'll just pray about it. And, and this is my backstory that a lot of you here probably have something very similar. And it's like the enemy doesn't really need to waste a lot of his time with you. All he has to do is he has to come in at a young age, and he has to allow someone to be at the right place, the right time to put a wound in your life or to tell you a big lie, and basically that thing will do its job for the rest of your life. And he doesn't have to torture you. You can just go on. It's like that baby elephant. They'll chain the elephant when it's young, and as it gets older, it stops resisting, 
And by the time it's an adult, it can be held by a string or a rope. And it's so powerful, but it doesn't believe it's powerful, right? So this was me. I had these wounds in my heart. <clears throat> and I think what happened was, because I was now expecting a baby, all of a sudden that fear came back because I'm like, now I'm responsible for a child. I wasn't safe. Maybe I won't be able to help my kid be safe. And, and all those things started coming out. And so I, you know, after battling the depression over and over, at first you feel guilty because you think, well, I'm a Christian. I shouldn't feel like this. And my husband's a pastor and I should be able to just, you know, maybe I should just pretend everything's okay. And I felt... I felt like God wasn't there, and I've always felt like he's close to me, and I, and I kind of felt like, God, if you're real, how come I can't feel you? And so I'm, I'm dealing with all this stuff, and I'm just like, yuck, you know? But the one thing that really helped was that I knew that no matter how long this took to get through, I knew that Lance and I were going to be okay, because we made this promise, and at that point, it had been 10 years and I knew that he was just going to be solid for me. I, I had more trouble trusting God at that point than I had trusting my husband. And so I um, went for this counseling. It was tremendous. It was a God thing, a God uh, connection. And, um, you know, up until that point, I had not told people about the abuse that happened in my life. And I wasn't until I was like 36 years old, I told my parents. And my dad wrote me this amazing letter that says, if I had known that, this is what I would have done. And I just felt like that little girl again who was just rescued. And um, so in feeling safe with Lance, it gave me the courage to face what I had to face. And um, I remember I was eight months pregnant. I'd been through the counseling stuff and doing great. And we had these new pastors over in our house, and we were having coffee I called Mackenzie the pasta baby. I ate pasta every day. So I was eight months pregnant. I looked like the Titanic plus 20 pounds. And Lance, and he was talking about exercising or something, and he says to this guy I've never met before, Cindy's a runner too. And I could have just, like, died. I thought the man's looking at me thinking, I don't think she can make it up three <laughs> stairs, let alone run. But it just melted my heart because I thought, you know what? People who believe in you, they see you the way... You know, they, they see you through eyes of love. And, you know, so I'm just saying that in your marriage, covenant makes the difference of feeling safe enough to deal with your stuff. And covenant makes you say, you know what, even though today's dark, maybe he's the strong one today. A year from now, I'll be the strong one. Can you t take something? Yeah, that's yeah. And I'm sure she was just joking that she ever thought about divorce. <laughs> Silly girl. <laughs> the next one I'd like to speak about is the prayer of faith. Faith is a gift of God, so how do we receive it? Faith comes by hearing. God who will give us that kind of faith that will move mountains. Once God gives us a measure of faith that it's ours to steward and we can feed it, exercise it, and strengthen it so nothing can stand in our way. You know, faith works as a seed. We need to plant it if we want to bear fruit. We do not buy that by speaking. We, we, we do that by speaking with our mouth the things that we already believe in our hearts. Matthew eleven twenty four 24 says, listen to me. You can pray anything, and if you believe it, you will have it. The world says, I will believe it when I see it, but God says we will see it when we believe it. For there's no reason to have faith once we already have had the answer. 
Mark 11, 20 to 26 says, The next morning as they passed by the fig tree that he had cursed, the disciples noticed that it was withered from the roots. Peter remembered what Jesus had said to the tree on the previous day and exclaimed, Look, teacher, the fig tree you have cursed has withered. Then Jesus said to the disciples, Have faith in God. I assure you that you can say to this mountain, May God lift you up and throw you into the sea and command you will obey it. All that is required is that you really believe and do, not, and do not doubt in your heart. Listen to me. You can pray for anything, and if you believe it, you'll have it. But when you're praying, first, and I love this. Here's the little, the little caveat in there. First, forgive anyone who you're holding a grudge against so that your Father in heaven will forgive your sins too. See, have faith in God literally translates into have the faith of God. Faith will accomplish nothing. Faith must find its origins in God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. For man's ways is, I will believe it when I see it, but God's way is, I'll believe it before it actually happens. See, the prayer of faith is a very strong prayer. And when the Lord puts something in your heart that you know is from God, you then have the authority to speak out boldly and say, Lord, I just speak this right now in Jesus' name. But again, it has to have the roots and its foundations in the Lord. You know, we can, we can wish for something all we want, and it may never come to pass. But when our life lines up with the word of God, and the, word, the Lord puts something in our heart that is bigger than us, and we just say, Lord, right now in Jesus' name, I declare this, and I speak that, that's the prayer of faith in action. It's knowing what the Lord has spoken and agreeing with what the Holy Spirit has already said. The next prayer is the prayer of dedication. Many people dedicate their lives to God. We see praying in Matthew 26, 39, going a little farther, he fell on his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken away from me, yet not as I will, but your will be done. Have you ever been put in that place? See, as a pastor, I get put in this place a lot. And maybe I've been put in this place by yourself. But we have to be very careful how we pray. You know what, if I'm up around the altar and someone comes up to me and says something like, you know, pastor, I want to, I want to, I believe that this person here is going to be my wife and I want to marry them. And maybe you're not even dating. So it's just like, you know what, will you pray with me the prayer of agreement that they'll become my wife? I can't do that. You know what, maybe you come up to me and say, pastor, I really believe that I want this job, and, and this job pays 100 grand a year, and, and I'm claiming this right now. Will you pray for me? Well, I can pray, but I would pray more the prayer of dedication where, where I would say, Lord, as I'm praying for brother or sister so-and-so for this job, we just ask, Lord, that your will be done. Because I can't pray, Lord, give them that job right now because I haven't spent time and asked the Lord about it. The Lord hasn't showed me whether that job's for you or not. So I don't want to pray counter to what Holy Spirit is wanting to do. You know what? Sometimes with our head, it's like, oh, man, that job pays 100 grand. This is the job that the Lord has given for me. And the Lord's like, you know what? I'm calling you to do this job. It pays 50 grand a year. But that's where I, you're going to be happy there because I've placed you in that spot. It's not about the cash. It's about my presence. So we pray, when, we, when we pray this type of prayer, uh, we, we pray, Lord, like Jesus prayed, not, Lord, I don't want to go on the cross. It's going to hurt. But Lord, not my will. Your will be done. Lord, if there's any other way for this to happen, God, show it to me. But if not, then Lord, not my will. I want, I want to do what you want. 
We can offer ourselves up in the prayer of dedication. James 4.15 says, And now I have a word for you who brashly announced, Today, at the latest, at the, uh, latest tomorrow, we are off such and such a city for the year. We're going to start a business and make a lot of money. You don't know the first thing about tomorrow. You're nothing but a wisp of fog, catching a brief bit of sun before it disappears. Instead, make it a habit to say, if the master wills it and we're still alive, we'll do it. <laughs> you know, that's from the message. I love how they, how they write that. But when we walk in that place, it's like, Lord, I dedicate my life to you, God. And Lord, not my will, God, but your will be done. Lord, may you be glorified. And you know what? This last one here, sanctify. This one here, I've always kind of had a bit of a problem with it. And a bit of a problem more understanding exactly what this prayer means. And, and as I was studying for this, the Lord just really opened it up. I'm like, Lord, there's something on this for today. And I believe that this is really something for everybody there's there's just something there's there's just a, a jewel in this in this uh in this one here sanctification is close to the prayer of dedication yet it's different in dedication there's a yielding of our wills to god's will but sanctification goes further as a purifying or cleansing work god's desires that our whole spirit soul and body would be sanctified First Thessalonians 5 says, May God himself, the God who makes everything holy and whole, make you holy and whole. Put you together, spirit, soul, and body, and keep you fit from the coming of our master Jesus Christ. The one who called you is completely dependable. If he said it, he'll do it. Sanctification, which is our freedom from sinful um, attitudes and behaviors unto a life of godliness in service to the Lord. You know what? God has set you apart. And I think this is what we have to really understand. That we are not in the world. We are in the world, but we are not of the world. We have been set apart as believers. John 15 says, if you find the godless world in hating you, remember, it got to start in hating me. If you live on the world's terms, the world would love you as one of its own. But since I picked you to live on God's terms and no longer the world's terms, this world is going to hate you. That's a pretty... Tough sentence. The enemy is wanting to prevent what God wants. He, the enemy wants to pervert what God calls pure. And here's just one example of, of a struggle that many of us have had in this room. It's, it really is the obvious one of sex. See, the Lord has made sex for us to be able to enjoy in the, in the safety of marriage. And it is absolutely wonderful. But there's so many sexual diseases and stuff running around because we do not hold the word of God pure. And we do not hold it here. You know, AIDS and syphilis and all these kind of things would not be in existence if we followed the word of God. If we had one man with one woman and we grew together as a couple and not had a relationship where we just kind of go around and do what we want because it feels good. Um, if you ask anyone who is sexually promiscuous what they want for their daughters, all of a sudden their answer changes. I find that's amazing. You know, like if you talk to somebody who is sexually promiscuous, they're not, maybe not a believer, and they're like, yeah, it's awesome, you should be able to do that. And when they have a daughter, you say, hey, do you still hold that dear? Well, wait a minute. That's my daughter, like, no, 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 she should wait till she's married. It's like, well, why the two different camps? Because they know what's best, 
They know what is safe and their heart for their daughters to see them walk into a place of purity. So when we walk in that place as a youth pastor, one of the things I started teaching on regularly is purity. As a man, I've learned the importance of being sanctified and I've witnessed the devastation and the destruction of lust. For my children, as a dad, I pray they walk in a role of purity. For my son, I pray that he withstands the temptation and the ease of access for lust. For when people use the internet or television to fill a desire in their life, they bring into their marriage bed discord, which will destroy any couple. I don't know if you've experienced that, but you know what? The Bible says the two of us become one. And when the two of us become one, we are so closely connected that if we were to have something on the internet, if we were to go on the internet and, and, and fool around with lust and then go into the marriage bed, our wives or the husbands have this little radar and they, they may not know what it is, but they know that something feels dirty. Something's not right. And it's so important for us to be able to walk in that place of sanctification and just say, God, you have set me apart for such a time as this. Esther understood the importance of being set apart, and she saved a whole nation. My friends, you have been set apart. Do not take sanctification lightly, but walk in that place. Man, guys, if pornography is a struggle with you, don't hide it from your spouse, but let her be a partner with you to fight it and to break it. It's an addiction that is destroying your marriage because you're training your brain that this way is the best way, and it's not true. We have to set ourselves apart. We have to be the priest of our homes. We have to remember our sons and our daughters, and we have to stay in that place where it's like, Lord, the word of God is my foundation. Not the pieces that I want, not the parts that I like, but the whole word of God, Lord, is my anchor. And when we walk in that place, we can say, Lord, I know that I've been set apart for you, and Lord, help me to be the man or the woman that you've called me to be. Cool? So I'm going to ask the worship team to come. We just have walked in that place where we say we want to understand that the altars are always open. And maybe as I was talking today about sanctification or I was talking about confession or repentance, and the Lord just, by his spirit, has just sort of brought some conviction. See, there's difference between guilt and condemnation. That's not from the Lord, but conviction is. Where we say, God, you're pulling me on the mat right now, God. And Lord, I want to walk in freedom. I don't want to have bitterness towards anybody, Lord. I don't want to have discord in my life. I want the word of God to be my foundation. And Lord, I need to be fresh and pure and clean. And if that's you this morning, again, nobody even has to pray for you. It's just coming up before the altar of God and saying, God, I agree with this message this morning. And Lord, would you create a clean heart? Create, be like that, be like that, the, the, uh, like David, when it's like, Lord, Create in me a new heart. Renew that, Lord, in me. 
Create a pure heart, a clean heart, Lord. Renew a right spirit, God. Because, Father, I need you to be that foundation. We're just teaching you on a few different types of prayer that maybe you didn't even know existed. But we need to walk in that place of the saints of God. You are a saint. And we can walk in that place and say, Lord, I know that I need to be pure and holy and set apart for you. In Christ's mighty name we ask it. So team, just go ahead and play. And as the team plays, the service is dismissed. May the Lord bless you and keep you. But if Holy Spirit is dealing with you, don't leave. Come up to the altar and just say, God, here I am, Lord. Purify me. We hope you've been blessed by this teaching from Coley Community Church. Thank you for your continued support of this ministry. Coley Community Church, a place where families come together.